Um, as I begin my message with you this morning, I'd like to uh, pray and ask God to just give us his grace as we study his word. So now, Lord, um, we open your word. Um, I pray that you would remind us that this is your breath. This is you speaking to us. Help us to receive your word as you intend it to be received. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd help me. I pray you would protect us from anything that is not from you, but the truth that is from you. I pray, Lord, that it would find hearts that are receptive, that it would take root, that it would grow and produce much fruit that lasts. For the sake of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, Happy New Year. Did any of you make New Year's resolutions? Uh, I've got a couple New Year's resolutions that I heard that are kind of interesting. One person says that they want to stop drinking orange juice after they brush their teeth. They want to spend less than $1,825 for coffee at Starbucks this year. They want to stop buying worthless junk on eBay because QVC has better specials. Now, this one, you'll have to think. This is my New Year's resolution, uh, 1024 by 968 pixels. Anybody get that one? You computer uh, jockeys will know that one. That's my New Year's resolution. Oh, groan. <laughs> Buy new clothes big enough to account for next year's holidays. <laughs> Um, I'm going to lose weight by moving to the moon. That's a good one, I think. Um, find a more accurate scale. And uh, stop buttering my donuts. Uh, we have a lot of resolutions that have to do with our health, don't we? Well, I'd like this morning to continue on that health theme and think about a healthy church. And I'd like to suggest a prayer for the new year in a way that would help our church continue to grow in being healthy. Now, over the past two decades, there's been an emphasis, and I think it's been a good emphasis, a healthy emphasis on church health. And as uh, experts in the area of congregational life, uh, have uh, studied the local church, they find that healthy Christians who attend healthy churches will faithfully and effectively uh, represent God and be able to promote his gospel. And so um, the environment of spiritual health as we have a local church is something that is worth pursuing. And uh, what I'd like to do today is discuss how to pray for our church to become a healthier uh, church than it was last year. That doesn't mean that we're not a healthy church now, but I think we need to pray that God will help us to grow in church health. And here are some areas that church health experts have uh, suggested to consider as we pray for our church. Pray that uh, uh, leadership is empowered for ministry. Um, 
the empowering of God for ministry by our leaders is something we need to pray about. A gift-based ministry. That is, people are serving in the area where they're gifted. Um, there's great joy in sacrificing if you're using your gifts. Um, passionate spirituality. Um, we, wanna, we want our spiritual lives to be more than just also ran. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But uh, God wants our church to be passionate about spirituality, that our worship services will be inspiring, that we'll have effective structures, that our small groups will deal with the holistic person, and that uh, there will be evangelism that is focusing on meeting the needs of people in our community, and that we will have loving relationships. So these are all things that um, we'll be talking about over uh, the next year or so uh, to promote. And we've already done uh, a survey to talk about what are the areas where we would like to grow and move forward. And we've had vision uh, teams put together vision statements in these areas. And I think we're, we're on the way to addressing these issues. But I'd like to just remind us that it has been rightfully said what you win them with is what you win them to. Now remember that. What you win them with is what you win them to. And so if we've got people who are checking out Jesus and they become Christians, they trust Christ with their lives, or if there's Christians who are in the community that are checking out church, the message that we give them, what we win them with, is what they're going to expect when they arrive. So if we give them a message of uh, uh, strategic planning, sociological studies, uh, feel-good message, they'll come to our church or they'll enter the Christian walk, and that's what they'll expect. They'll expect that everything is going to be done with uh, you know, statistics and, and, uh, and the goal is to feel good, to be encouraged, you know. While those are good things, I'm afraid that as they expect that in their Christian lives and as they expect that in the life of a local church, probably will be disappointed because the message we won them with is not the message they find when they arrive. What is the message that they find when they arrive in a healthy church? Well, I'd suggest that the message that we want them to find in a healthy church is the message of the awesome prospect of standing in the presence of a holy God. Boy, we need people to experience standing in the presence of a holy God. That's the message of the gospel. The offer of the forgiveness of sins in order to escape his wrath. You ever heard about that before? Ephesians 2 says that apart from Christ, we are objects of God's wrath. And when we trust Christ, we are saved from God's wrath. But apart from Christ, <laughs> that's a fearful thing to think about. That's the message that we want to win them with. That it's hard work to build authentic, rewarding relationships. Because it is. 
And when people come and investigate, what is this congregation, Three Lakes E-Free Church, like? We want them to know that we are, we are committed to loving relationships, but in order to do that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some work. And we want them to know that right away. Finding purpose through sacrificial service to a broken world in the name of Jesus. It takes commitment. See, this is the type of life of a fulfilled Christian. And I want to talk about how this is a worthy life to pursue today and that it takes prayer for us to live that type of life. It takes prayer to develop that type of a congregation. Today we're examining the church at Philippi. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to find Paul's letter to the Philippians. This church was founded by Paul uh, in Macedonia during his second missionary journey. He visited, uh, he visited this congregation several times, and uh, they were a contributing church on his missionary support team. So the book of Philippians includes a time when he thanks them for their missionary support of him. Paul wrote to this church as he was in prison in an effort to encourage them in the life that they're living because when Paul founded this church, it was founded in the midst of difficulty and struggle and hardship. And by sharing with them how he was dealing with difficulty and hardship and struggle, he would strengthen them in their struggles. And there was conflict among the people. And so there's portions in the book of Philippians where Paul deals with, well, how do you deal with conflict with one another? Well, you do it by being humble as Jesus was humble. And so he talks about all of these things that are part of a healthy church. And generally, Paul is saying, I commend you because you are on the way of being a healthy church. But Paul doesn't say, now that's all you need to do. He commends them and encourages them to move forward. He challenges them not to be um, content with their accomplishments. And so he says, I want you to press on to the goal of the upward call of Christ. Remember he says that in chapter 3? He says, I want you to follow my example of suffering for the gospel. I want you to uphold Jesus as the model of Christian conduct. I want you to practice service and love to one another. Persevere during times of struggling. I want you to find peace and contentment in the provision of God's grace. Whether you have a lot or whether you don't have very much at all, find contentment in Christ. Trust in God's grace, not in works of human effort. These are all church health issues that Paul says in the book of Philippians. And so in chapter 1, he says, these are things that I pray for you about. And I would suggest to you that he gives us a model that we should pray about these things as well. And so in chapter 1, verses 3 to 11, Paul tells us the theme of this paragraph, and it's this. Prayer is a vital ingredient of a local church. You better pray about these things. Why? Because they're not natural. It's not part of our human nature to live this way. It's part of our human nature to live the opposite way. To bite and devour one another. To always want more. To be envious. To be jealous. To have all of these things happening. So you better pray about these things. 
simple observation of life reveals a world that has been broken for centuries and is becoming more and more broken. So in order to develop healthy practices and nurture a healthy church culture, we must pray. We must ask God to give us his strength and his power so that we can progress and grow in becoming a healthy church. So let's see what Paul says in chapter 1, verses 3 to 11, about being a healthy church. Verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers. He's praying for the church. And as he prays for the church, this is what he says. I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you. It's right for me to pray like this about you, he says. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in change or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So as he prays for these people, see how he prays for them? The 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 way in which Paul prayed, inspiring for us. I want to look at that today. And then he says in verse 9 specifically, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. What a prayer. That your love may develop in knowledge and depth of insight. Why? So that you may be able to discern what is best and what is pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes to Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I'd like to focus on three things, three areas, three contents of our prayers for Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church in the new year. Three ways that we can pray for our congregation so that we can develop in those areas of church health and be a church that is a healthy church and that grows and nurtures healthy Christians. Let's see what those three areas might be. Verses 3 to 8, I would suggest to you, has a theme of partnership in the gospel. Partnership in the gospel. Verse 5 refers to the encouragement this church is to Paul because he feels that they are his partners in ministry. Brothers and sisters, I would suggest to you that we will go nowhere in our church unless we realize that we are partners together in the ministry. Let's look at some of the characteristics that define what it means to be partners in the ministry. Number one, we are faithful. From the beginning, we continue to grow, but we are faithful even when it goes hard for us. Chapter 16 of the book of Acts Paul began his ministry with the church and it ended up with a very difficult experience in his life. He was arrested and thrown into prison. And you remember the ministry he had to the Philippian jailer. But there's something more significant about that experience. 
Eventually, the magistrates of Philippi came to Paul and said, you know, we arrested you incorrectly. Um, we're, we're, you can go. You can leave. And Paul goes, no, no, wait a minute. I'm not going to just take this sitting down and, uh, and, and just go. You arrested me wrongly and you beat me with rods wrongly. You come to me and give me a public apology. Remember when he said that in Acts 16? Why do you think he did that? Well, he didn't do that because he wanted to vindicate himself. He did that because when he left Philippi, he was leaving a church behind. And by having the leaders of Philippi apologize to him, they were effectively authenticating the ministry of the church that he was leaving behind. Everything that Paul did was for, the, was for the furthering of the health of the local church. And he is saying that, you know, guys, when I left, I did everything I could to give you opportunity to be a healthy church. And you're doing it. You're being faithful, even in the midst of a culture that is not real receptive to your ministry. Pray, brothers and sisters, that we would stay faithful to the gospel in the midst of difficulty. Secondly, notice the inclusive language that he gives. All of you. Verse 4. All of you. Verse 7. Twice. All of you. Verse 8. All of you. A healthy church requires everyone to be involved. We need to pray about that. We need to pray that God would give each of us an opportunity to be part of the life of our church so that there are no bystanders. And that's something that, that's going to take God to move among us and to pray among us, uh, for us. Third, verse 6, that we are empowered by God. God was the driving influence of the ministry of this church, and God began it. And the promise is that he will continue to work among them until the ministry among them is fulfilled. But that takes prayer. Remember what he says in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13? He says, God is at work within you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. God is at work within you. That's what we need to pray for. Pray that God would be a work in our lives when we get together for fun club. We need to pray that God is at work among those who are serving. Any ministry that we have, pray that God would be at work among us. Verses 7 and 8. Boy, the affections of the heart. It is so obvious that Paul was, was very affectionate towards these people. We need to not be afraid of talking about how we care for one another so that people can know and feel the love of Christ in our church. And a closeness that Paul prays, verse 9, he says, I pray that that will spill over to, verse 7 says, community. That Paul says when he, he is in chains that he is encouraged because the gospel advances and grows through his efforts. And that's what it means to, to have an affection from the heart that we can know that, that our ministry is something that spills over into the life of the community that we serve. And then verse 7, it's all empowered by grace. 
And this is our common experience. Paul says, God's grace empowers me, and it also empowers you. And he prays that all these things would come together. There's a partnership. He rejoices in that partnership with the Philippian church. And so as we begin this new year, this strategic year in the life of our church, let's pray that we would realize that we are in this together that we are partners and that there are times when one ministry may need to take the lead and others may have to take a back seat because we are working towards what is good for the whole, that we don't schedule on top of one another, that we are considerate of of not only praying for the ministries that, that we're involved in, but for other ministries as well. We're in this together, praying together, loving one another, that we are faithful, that we're all involved, that we're empowered by God, that we know that what one person does affects every other person, and that we are uh, common salvation is given to us by God's grace. Specific things to be praying about, and that will make a healthy church. Secondly, Paul says in verse 9, he prays that we would know how to develop a mature love. Now, that's a very interesting term, isn't it? A mature love. One writer that I admire, one scholar that I admire, mentions the difference between this term and what we so often find in our culture as sentimental love. Do you know what I mean by sentimental love? Sentimental love is where everyone feels good and happy. <laughs> and that, that we just want to make sure that everybody is affirmed. You know, it's, it's like, like you see on, on some college campuses where there's, you know, there are free zones, you know, where no one can criticize you and no one can say anything that might hurt your feelings or all, some of these sensitivity things. That's sentimental love. Sentimental love um, uh, is, is some of these things that, you know, you don't have to do anything to contribute to it. There's no accountability. There are low expectations. And thus, there's low commitment in sentimental love. And here's one of the things that I find that happens when sentimental love is perpetuated. It is a tremendous hardship on the one who loves. Because the one who loves is expected to make the other person's life pleasant and happy. Well, you don't love me unless you make me happy. You won't love me unless you make my life easy. And so sentimental love requires all kinds of burden on the one who loves. There are no boundaries, so the relationship is healthy. And that's where abuse comes in. The expectation of sentimental love opens the door for people to take advantage of one another and, and where abuse happens. I think this is a very unbiblical way to think about love. The biblical way to think about love is mature love. Imagine if parents would just love their children sentimentally. They would not raise healthy children. But if we enter into relationships with one another with a mature love, a love that abounds more and more, verse 9, in knowledge. 
that's a mature love. And there are two aspects of the knowledge of the real mature love. Number one, it grows in truth. Much of our Christian faith is obvious. But some of it requires us to, to dig a little bit deeper. It requires us to think about what's really the truth of God here? You know, what is, what is it that the culture is looking for and what is it that God really says? And, and sometimes when we love someone, we must, we must delve a little bit deeper into the truth of, well, what is God's purpose in hardship and suffering? What is the truth about the people around us who are lost what is the truth about healthy marriages? What is the truth about uh, social justice? What is it that God wants us to really do? It takes, it takes delving into. And then, Paul says, notice, depth of insight. We need to put it all together within a Christian context. Mature love calls forth good works from each other in accordance with the truth of Scripture. Um, I can see my time is, is slipping away a little bit with me, so I won't go into this real deeply. But one chapter that I think talks about um, the mature love that comes from the truth of Scripture is Romans chapter 12. And I'm just going to read a few verses on this. But notice, notice the love and action from Romans 12. And notice how this is not a sentimental love. He says in verse 9, Love must be sincere. And here's what he means. You've got to hate what's evil and cling to what's good. That's mature love. Hate what's evil, cling to what's good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. That's a mature love. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. That's a mature love. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. That's a mature love. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. That's a mature love. Then in verses 14 to 21, he changes the subject to how to love the world. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. That's the way you win people to faith in Christ. You enter into relationship with unbelievers. Become their friend. And love them and care for them. Paul goes on in the next verses and he says, This is how you love one another with a mature love. I think it would be important for us as a congregation to pray that we would learn what mature love is based on truth and depth of insight. Let me give you an illustration of how that might work out. A few years ago, I walked with two families um, who had loved ones uh, who were dying. And they knew they were dying. And I wanted to love that family with a mature love. So 
we'll call this person, these people, the patients, okay? I went to the patients and I grabbed their hand. And I said, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says to live as Christ, but to die as gain. Do you know that truth? Are you abiding in that truth? Let me give you an insight into that truth. God has given you a ministry right now. And that ministry is to die well. Someone might say, boy, that's really harsh and mean to say to somebody. But you know what the worst pain in the world is? It's pain with no meaning. There is no pain worse than pain with no meaning. But when there's meaning and purpose in pain, and you encourage a person to understand that in the midst of their pain there can be purpose and meaning with the promise of a Christian hope, how can you love someone better than that? See, we need to pray that we get off this sentimentality thing in the Christian life. And where we get really serious about life and death with people because that's, that's what we're doing here. And both of these people, they're men. Both of these men were friends of mine. And I cried, grieved. It's, it was a loss. Both of them were good friends of mine. Both of them were my age. <laughs> but I loved them and gave them an opportunity to see that there's a purpose now that God can give them and a way for them to glorify. That's how you love with a mature love. And brothers and sisters, I think a mature love is, is an important part of a healthy local church. People want to see that we're, we're more than just a surfacey thing. We're, we're not an inch deep and a mile wide. We've got depth. We've got maturity in the way we love one another. And then thirdly, verses 10 and 11, and I love this one, personal righteousness. Personal righteousness. Paul says that when we practice mature love, we will be able to accomplish something. In verse 10, notice the word that begins with verse 10. So that. Why do you have mature love? Will you do it so that? For this reason, for this purpose. When you practice mature love, it's going to give you the opportunity to do something. And that's so that is that you will discern what is best. You see, when we practice mature love and we really get down into really getting into people's lives and talking about the truth of the Scripture with our finger on the text, with God's message coming through, then we'll be able to have discernment about what is best. Now, Paul is not talking about learning a difference between what is good and bad. That's easy. Paul wants us to pray as Christians, as a local church, that we know the difference between what is good and best. 
the difference between what is good and best. I think C.S. Lewis gives us a great illustration in his uh, work, The Weight of Glory. He says that, um, quote, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are too easily pleased. We may be settling for something that's good and missing out on what's best. How do you do that as a local church? We've got to pray. We've got to pray that God gives us the discernment to do to the difference between good and best. And then he says, you need to practice righteousness which is pure and blameless. That's a lifestyle of holiness. Now, when you hear the lifestyle of holiness, pure and blameless and righteousness, what's the first thing you think of? I know the first thing I think of is no, right? (laughs) First thing you think of, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. No, don't do that. No, no, no. People in the world look at the Christian church, and when we pursue righteousness, the only thing they ever hear of us from us is no. We're a people of no. Well, it's true. Jesus says we must deny ourselves, pick up our cross daily, and follow him, right? He does say that. Oh, but he has so much to say to us about yes. Pursuing righteousness is a message of yes. Dr. Wayne Grudem, who wrote the very famous and popular Systematic Theology, maybe some of you know of that resource, he just published a new book on ethics, biblical ethics. And in his biblical ethics, he outlines for us some yeses about righteousness. Let me give those to you. He says, if you pursue righteousness... These are the things that you'll experience. You'll experience the blessings of deeper fellowship with God. You'll experience the blessing of bringing glory to God by imitating his character on earth. That's a yes. You'll experience expressing your love to God by our actions. Isn't it wonderful to be able to express love to God and know that he receives our love, our sacrifice and service? Knowing that we are pleasing God? Now, we are pleasing to God because of Christ. But with our good works that are a result of gratitude in our heart and the pursuit of righteousness, He is pleased with us. What a blessing to know that God is pleased with us. Wow. The blessing of closer fellowship with other Christians. Outside of pursuing righteousness, we offend one another. We do things that are mean-spirited and sinful and we hurt people's feelings. But when we pursue righteousness, 
our fellowship is a blessing to one another. How about the blessing of a clear conscience? Do you have a clear conscience today? I don't know if you do or not. I do. Because I'm pursuing righteousness. I understand what it means to walk a life of repentance. And we'll talk about that in, in, in a couple of weeks. The blessing of God's peace. The blessing of discovering by experience that God's commands are really beneficial to our lives. You know, it really makes sense not to commit adultery. <laughs> I mean, you know the chaos that committing adultery causes? <laughs> it's kind of cool not to commit adultery. <laughs> it's a blessing. And the blessing of freedom from slavery to sin. The blessing of avoiding God's spiritual discipline. How many of you today want God to discipline you? I don't. Because God doesn't mess around with discipline. <laughs> but the blessing in knowing that I don't have to look forward to God's discipline. Because I'm pursuing righteousness. It's a yes. The blessing of greater assurance of salvation. The blessing of experiencing a foretaste of life in heaven. Life in heaven because of the pursuit of righteousness. The blessing of increased heavenly reward. That might sound selfish, but you know, God wants to give us. My, my greatest joy over Christmas was giving my family gifts. I love to give. God loves to give to you. And he loves to give you rewards. What a blessing. You see, pursuing righteousness is not no only. It's yes as well. And let's pray that we would appreciate these things. That we would, that we would remind one another of, you know, it's worth the sacrifice. It's worth it to be a healthy church. It's worth it to walk with God. That's why we need to be committed to prayer. These are things that Paul prayed for the church at Philippi about. And the reason he prayed about them is because they are three things, not the only three, but, but three areas that promote a healthy church. So I'm challenging us, challenging us this year to make these prayers based on the prayer of Paul in Philippians 1. A regular part of our prayer life. And in order to help us do that, I have written a 40-day prayer challenge. I call it 40 Days of Prayer. And our church secretary, Lori, has done an outstanding job uh, putting these together for us. Every Sunday for the next 40 days, you will see in the foyer a hard copy of daily devotions on prayer. And if you're a computer person, uh, please go online to our webpage. And as you go online to our webpage, you'll see 40 Days of Prayer and click on it every day. And you'll have a devotional on prayer. And I challenge you to do all 40 days of prayer. Because it'll just help us to learn how to pray for our church to be a healthy church. And then I'd like to encourage you to reserve uh, Thursday evening, February 17th, on your calendars. Now, that's 40 days from now. And so uh, some of you may already have a commitment 40 days out. That's okay. But those of you that don't, 
make this your commitment. To come out with us on Thursday evening, February 17th. That's day 40 in our 40 days of prayer. And we're going to have a time of corporate prayer as a local church. And I will lead us through a time of worship and prayer that kind of culminates our 40 days of prayer. And as we enter into this 40 days of prayer campaign, how, what more strategic thing could we do as we begin to think through the transition and the search for a new pastor than to pray that God would make us a healthy church? May I challenge us to pray these prayers for 2019. Let's pray. Father in heaven, now I pray that you would help us to internalize these things, to think about the truth of your scripture, and to know, Lord, that, that this is your, your, your great plan for us to pray. And you've given us a model from, from the Apostle Paul on how to pray for one another and how to pray that our church would continue to grow to become a more healthy church. Bless us, motivate us, and encourage us. And most of all, Lord, I pray that we would, we would know and understand and feel that it's all about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is the one we worship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.